Welcome to Radio Tambua, an outreach of ACFA, the Africa Center for Apologetics Research. ACFA equips God's people for the defense of the faith, biblical discernment, and cult evangelism. Let's begin today's message. Greetings, my dear brothers and sisters in the Lord. This is Rogers Atwebembire, the director of the Africa Center for Apologetics Research. We have been dealing with an interesting uh, series called What Did Jesus Really Mean? And perhaps you are there wondering, is that really an important topic to be discussing? Don't we all know what Jesus meant? Don't we all have the scriptures in the Bible? Sure, I agree with you. We know what Jesus said because of the scriptures that we have before us. But are you really sure that we know what Jesus really meant by what he said? There is what Jesus said, but there is what he meant. Why is this very important? That many of us today, believers, we come into our Bibles to read. Yes, we read what the Bible says but we are not sure how to understand or interpret its sayings before we can apply them to our lives. Now you will remember that Jesus was the greatest teacher that ever lived, a man who spoke powerfully, affirmatively, with authority, and even with great wisdom, that even the teachers of the day, the religious leaders of the day, concurred that never before had a man of his caliber risen, who spoke with such power and authority. But the same Jesus made a number of statements that are astounding and quite often a bit confusing and sometimes leave us wondering whether we really are the ones misunderstanding what he said or whether he even said it at all. Sometimes you come across some Christian teachings where you find different believers or different churches disagreeing and having different understandings and views of one statement that Jesus said. So it leaves you wondering, if there are five interpretations of what Jesus said, which one of the five is really true? And if those some of us are wrong about what Jesus said, how do we know that we are wrong, and what does that mean for us in terms of consequences? Of course, before we go far, it's my duty to remind you, that Jesus stands at the heart of the Christian faith without him Christianity falls. And with that understanding, it means that whatever Jesus is and has done and has said is extremely important that if you miss what Jesus said and you misunderstand him or misrepresent him or misapply his teachings, you are in danger of great deception, in danger of destruction which is why it is very important that we understand what Jesus meant. And so today I would like to walk with you through one of the several passages where Jesus told the people who were listening to him and said some of those astounding statements, some of those statements that have been controversial since the history of Christianity until today. The one typical verse that we will look at today actually comes from the Gospel of John. And we would like to look at John chapter 10, reading from verses 25. In this passage, Jesus is teaching and he is revealing his identity. They have just asked him before in around verses 21, and they have seen his miracles and his wonders, and there is a division amongst the Jews because of these words. Some of them concluded that he has a demon, 
and others said he is insane, others say there is even no need to listen to him, still others said these are not the words of one who is possessed by a demon. Can a demon really open the eyes of the blind? So at the heart of this passage is the question, who is Jesus really? How come he chases demons? How come he has the power to heal? How come he teaches with power? How come he does things that are beyond human being or human ability? And Jesus from verses 22 begins to explain who he is. So listen to the passage. At that time, the feast of dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ or the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe me. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father has consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know, and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. Wow! A powerful passage, right? And most likely quite confusing passage, isn't it? A very serious conflict here. People come to Jesus and they ask him, So who are you really? Tell us the truth. Are you really the Messiah who was to come? Is that why, that's why you have the power to perform miracles and wonders? So are you actually saying because of these miracles you are the Messiah and therefore we should bow our knee to worship to you? We need to be sure if we are going to respond, we want to be sure we are responding rightly and to the right man and at the right occasion. Who are you really? And Jesus responds and tells them, I have been telling you, in my words and in my deeds, you already know who I am. I and my father are one. And basically where Jesus is heading here, as he compares himself with the father, he's heading towards this statement that we need to look out for, where in verse 35 he says that ye are gods. 
And you see, the purpose of my speaking to you in this passage today is to bring out that phrase in verse 35, where scripture says that we are gods. And this is very important to talk about, because today we have Christians that have come up and have concluded that Jesus told that human beings are God. So quoting verses 34 and 35 of John chapter 10, they have concluded that we are gods, and because we are gods, we can do whatever we want, and they are quick to point to the scriptures and say, you see, the Bible is actually saying we are gods. So if we are gods, can we even die? And as a matter of fact, we have some crazy Christians who have concluded that for them they will not never die. After all, they are gods. Today we are hearing young people at universities saying that as a Christian you no longer need to repent, you no longer need to confess your sins, you no longer need to study for your exams, you no longer need to go to hospital. When you cross the road you shouldn't worry as to whether you should look left or right to see if there is any car coming. After all you are God, gods don't die, gods don't fall sick, gods don't fail exams, gods don't suffer in any way. And come to think of it, that logic actually seems to make a lot of sense. Because if it is really true that you are God and you possess the attributes of God, then there is really no need to worry about anything because God is above all troubles, all calamities, all situations. After all, isn't he the creator? But with that kind of teaching going around in our university campuses, on the streets in Kampala, in churches today, what does the Bible really say about this? Does the Bible actually say that human beings are God? Is it possible that there is even a passage in the Bible that remotely suggests the idea that human beings are gods or are capable of being gods? Is there even such a possibility someday? We have one particular church I know that teaches as part of its central theology that one day men will progress and become gods, that God was one time a man, he evolved into God, and if they obey the teachings of their church very faithfully and carefully, one day they will also become gods. And they will also point to the scriptures like John 10, 34, to confirm that after all, by nature, we are divine beings. But when Jesus quoted that passage and said that we are gods, what did he really mean? That's the question we are seeking to answer. Now, for us to answer this question, we need to understand two contexts. Context number one is what he is addressing in John chapter 10. How does he even come to that place where he quotes the Bible and says that human beings are gods? Jesus is self-identifying himself. He's been confronted by the Jews who wish to know who he is, and more specifically whether he is the Messiah. And without missing his words, with no apology whatsoever, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. And what do the Jews do? They respond with the charge of blasphemy. And they respond with stones. Why? Because the charge of blasphemy called for a penalty of death by stoning. And Jesus asks them, of all the things I have done, which of these things are worthy of you stoning me? Why are you doing that? And they say, no, no, no. We actually do not stone you for what you have said or done. We stone you particularly for the charge of blasphemy, that you being a man claim to be God. 
And so with this statement, Jesus draws them to the scriptures and precisely takes them to the Old Testament and quotes Psalms chapter 82, where he quotes a passage that is talking about the rulers of the day being identified as gods. And Jesus' argument is like this. If the scripture identifies that human beings can be called gods, and scripture cannot be broken, why are you surprised or confused that me who is bigger than human beings who are identified as gods, I am legitimately identifying myself with the Father? Why is it that it's easy for you to accept that the human rulers of the Old Testament were gods, but actually Jesus is not allowed or does not have a right to call himself the Son of God? In other words, he's challenging them to see the implications of Scripture. Are you sure you have understood what you've been reading? You Jews who claim to be godly and religious and Bible readers and people who understand God's word in the Old Testament. Are you sure you understand what Psalm 82 is about? Now the danger is that many people have quoted John 10.34 out of context. They do not seek to understand what Jesus meant by quoting Psalm 82. They just read that phrase and they conclude that we are gods and they get all sorts of implications from that very selectively chosen Bible phrase. But if you look at Psalm 82 in context, when Jesus uses that phrase, what is he actually talking about? In fact, when you look at Psalms 82, Psalm 82 does not even say that we are gods. In fact, what you find in Psalm 82, it is not an acknowledgement of the divinity of human beings. It is a rebuke and a warning of impending judgment against the human rulers who have put themselves in a place of God. Men who exercise the power of death and life as though they were God himself. And listen to how the psalmist addresses them. Beginning from verse 1, first and foremost, he says that God presides in the great assembly. He renders judgment among the gods. And by saying that God renders judgment among the gods, he uses God's capital small g, meaning the gods of false impressions, false invasions, and false idols of God, who of course are not, because scripture tells us that there is only one God. There was no other before him, and there will be none after him. Clearly, the testimony of scripture shows us that there is only one God. So when the psalmist uses the gods with a small g, he's talking about the self-identifying small gods of the heathen nations around them that claimed to have the same power as the God of heaven, the creator of heaven and earth, the gods of the Philistines, the Amorites, the Ammonites, the Hivites, the Hittites, the, the Amalekites, and all those ites you can think about. In Israel's time, in the first century, these nations would have had their worship to idols that were also considered to be at the same level as the God of the Jews. So the psalmist here is showing that the God of the Jews, the God of heaven and earth, in fact presides in great assembly, and he judges those self-proclaimed idols that call themselves gods. And then, 
this word God also means these human judges that have put themselves in a place where they now decide the fate of the people whether to sentence them to death or to life. So in verse 2 he says, How long will you defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked? Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. The gods know nothing. They understand nothing. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said you are gods. You are all sons of the Most High. But you will die like mere mortals. You will fall like every other ruler. Rise up, O God, judge the earth, for all the nations are your inheritance. There it is. So you can see the context here. God is not only talking about the self-proclaimed small gods of the heathen nations around them, but he also uses the same phrase to identify the human judges who were in positions of power, who had the ability and whose goal was to defend the weak and the fatherless, the poor and the oppressed, the needy. But instead of doing that, they are abusing their position. They are using their power instead to oppress the already oppressed and to take advantage of them, to take away their property and all sorts of wicked things you can ever think about. And so God identifies them as the small gods who have abused their power of leadership and who, because of that, judgment is coming upon them. In verses 5 he says, the gods know nothing. They understand nothing. They walk about in darkness. So if really Jesus was meaning that human beings are gods in the sense of possessing divinity like the God of heaven, how come that then he says they know nothing? How come that against the background of the creator God who is omniscient, who walks out in abundant marvelous light, how come that these gods are identified as those who know nothing and as those who walk about in darkness? Clearly the word God is used here is not one to talk about divinity, but one of talking about the exercise of power and authority. Which is why in verse 7 again he reminds them that even though they self-identify as God, even though they exercise the power of life and death over the people whom they lead, they will die like mere mortals. They will fall like every other ruler. And how do you know that these people being talked about are indeed rulers? Notice that small phrase there in verse 7. They will fall like every other ruler. And that's the key word there. That indeed the people in Psalm 82 are rulers who are exercising authority and power over other people and they have taken advantage of them and abused and misused their power. And Psalm 82 says that they too, even as they sentence men unjustly to death, they too will die like mere mortals. If we were to conclude that we are indeed gods, then we should not even think about the idea of dying because God really should not die. So how come that Psalm 82 says they will die like mere mortals? And if they die, are they really still gods? Is that divinity at work? So clearly you can tell 
that when Jesus quotes this passage in Psalm 82, he's not saying that they are gods in the sense of divinity or in the sense of how we understand the creator God. He is saying that those who were the rulers of the day, who exercised the power and authority of life and death, who decided who died and who doesn't, he is talking about those men. And he is saying, if these rulers, evil as they are, and just as they are, if they can be called gods in the sense of authority and power, why are these people surprised that Jesus calls himself the son of God and he is performing miracles and wonders in authority and power? Moreover, the kind of power, the good one, the one that works for the good and the well-being of the people. If the wicked rulers are identified as gods, why is it a surprise that the that Jesus, the good ruler, the good leader, is identifying himself as the son of God and they call him a blaspheme? So Jesus is basically is challenging their thinking. And he's saying, look here. If if wicked people can be given this title, why would you stone me for assuming the same? Moreover, me, I have assumed this title legitimately because indeed I am the son of God. If you don't believe me in what I am saying, can you at least look at the works that I am doing? They testify of me. They vindicate me. They demonstrate who I am. They confirm that indeed I am the Messiah who was prophesied to come. And now that I am among you, the best you can do for yourself is to believe me, to receive me, to look at my works, to see, hear my words, that you may know and understand that indeed the Father is in me and I in the Father. So with what we have read, with what we have heard, would it be right for us to keep concluding or insisting that human beings are God so even have the slightest ability to become God one day? In fact, for us to think that way is what should be regarded as blasphemy. That we mere mortals, we mere men, we sinful and wicked men, we who will die like mere men, we who walk in darkness, we who know nothing in comparison to what God knows, continue to claim that we are at the same level of God. What a height of blasphemy. Do you see how easy it is? For a preacher to come across a Bible passage, take it out of its entire context, cause it to say what it did not mean to say, and ends up with a doctrine that looks biblical but actually is not. Do you see what happens when Jesus' words are misunderstood? Now you have people walking around calling themselves little uh, gods, claiming they cannot die, claiming there is no need to confess sins, and they claim Jesus is the one who has said it and given them that mandate. But is that what Jesus really meant when he said he are little gods? And the testimony and, uh, and the evidence of scripture points to the contrary. Clearly there is no doubt whatsoever. That when Jesus used that phrase, he are gods, he was not saying that human beings have the capability of becoming gods someday. He was actually ridiculing them. It was a note of judgment. It was a challenge upon the religious leaders of his day to understand the sense in which the word he are gods is being used and realize that their charge of blasphemy against him was actually unfounded to no avail and instead they needed to lay down their stones and submit to his lordship as the Messiah indeed that was to come and had come and find eternal life in him. How I pray that we will not be deceived. 
that we will be instead encouraged to study our Bibles diligently, carefully, faithfully, truthfully, and that we will grow in the knowledge of the word of God and as we understand God's truth, God's truth will set us free. To learn more about the Africa Center for Apologetics Research, visit us at africanapologetics.org.